the IBM Z applications and runtime podcasts. Your place to get the news, trends and direction for mainframe runtimes and environments. Uh, greetings and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, the Application Platform Talks. This is where we chat to experts involved with the runtimes to talk about topics in their, their areas of expertise. Now, my comrade in arms today is, as usual, uh, Tobias Leica from Germany. So, Toby, hope you're feeling well, and it's great to work with you again. It's a pleasure to be with you, even though not physically, at least on a podcast. Well, hopefully soon. Now, today, we're very privileged to be talking to young Steve Hobson, who's going to give us some insight into his long and varied relationship with mainframes over... Well, let's just say a number of years for now and how the mainframe software has evolved and, and it's bringing benefits to enterprise applications and procedures. So, Steve, thanks for giving us your time today. I hope you enjoy it. Well, yes, absolutely great. Thank you very much indeed. Nice and nice introduction. Well, I, I spent hours on it, Steve. I spent hours on it. <laughs> um, so this recording will be made available at ibm.biz forward slash said podcasts and you'll find many more podcasts related to IBM Z not just the application platform podcast so let's start then Steve before we go into what you're currently working on let's hear a little bit about Steve and how you became involved with uh, the mainframe a few years ago well certainly was a few years ago in fact I was thinking I, I often think actually that my career with IBM so far um, has been pretty much synchronized with the um, System 360 and its descendants, which is we tend to now think of as the, as the, as the mainframe. Um, and and I, I was there at the time that, <clears throat> at the time that I joined IBM. System 360 was kind of new, and uh, it was uh, taking over from from the 1400 series and other similar earlier machines. And it's been the foundation of of of, of IBM mainframe technology ever since it's still it's it's, it's still you know it's recognizably the same thing actually so i feel as though i've been seeing the whole story almost it's funny you saying the 360 because i always recall there was a locked safe in hersley house and they didn't have a key and they couldn't find it for years and years and then suddenly found a key and it was with great trepidation that they opened this safe because they really didn't know what they would find in there was it going to be treasure was it going to be a skeleton and it turned out to be a whole load of specs for the system 360 <laughs> yeah yes i yes i remember that <clears throat> a bit inscrutable really though there, there were sort of like engineering drawings a lot of um very very thin lines on very very large pieces of paper with vast numbers of um, components joined up most of which were only identified by some sort of code number so it wasn't easy to follow precisely what it was doing but uh, yes that was quite so, so, so when you when when you did stars, uh, I, I, when we had our discussions before, I learned that you actually did something very similar that that I did uh, in Germany. We have this cooperative study program where we can actually you, you're being hired and be allowed to study and actually being paid, which is probably the most interesting bit of this. So, so, so how did you start in IT and 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 what was it really IT? We said we start with three sixty. At that time, I, I would suppose there are not many computer science courses around. So, so what was it you, you actually started with in, in, in university then? 
Well, <clears throat> I was um, I, I was doing it. Uh, I was quite keen on doing maths at that time, and my maths teacher suggested that uh, that IBM was uh, involved in this scheme by means of which you could join IBM as an employee while you sat your university degree uh, course, which was a four-year course and a sort of six-month-on, six-month-off arrangement where you were wor working at university for six months and then working for IBM for six months. And uh, some of the people on the course were actually just went on the course and the university organized the so-called industrial training periods. But because I was working for IBM, IBM organized them. And that was at Hursley, actually. And it was it was completely brilliant. Um, I remember when I went for when I went for interview that the, the uh, it was at the old IBM headquarters in, in in London, and I was very impressed by the fact that they had uh, a, a tube station, a private tube station for IBM. It, it wasn't wasn't actually a private tube station for IBM, but IBM was sat on top of uh, Gunnersbury tube station, so I got off the tube and went straight into the office. Which <laughs> was. So I was with IBM, and at that time, as I say, 360 was quite new. And while I was there, 370 um, came out, and, uh, and and really, I've 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 stayed with that with that with the mainframe for the entire duration of the period, really, and seen a lot of um, different things done on on the mainframe. But uh, it's a it's a it's an extraordinary extraordinary beast. Great fun to work with, actually, in my opinion. And, and when you say you, you started in a time frame, um, maybe something our our audience is not aware of, because today when you say Kix, you would say Kix is Hursley and Hursley is Kix, and uh, also MQ and the other stuff. But 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 Kix is very much famous for that. But but at a time actually, Kix wasn't a Hursley thing. Kix wasn't invented in Hursley, but at the time you actually did, did the PR one compiler there, did you? That's Yes, I did. Yes. Um, uh, in fact, I think Kix was actually a customer thing uh, that, that IBM acquired at some stage. But yes, it, I would, Kix was, uh, uh, sorry, Hursley at that stage owned the PL1 compiler. And uh, so I worked on the uh, uh, F compiler, which is a very, uh, a very venerable ancient beast. Uh, and then a replacement, which was the optimizing compiler. In fact, they were doing two different compilers at the same time. The optimizing compiler and the checkout compiler, and I was in the optimizing compiler group. Um, at, at that time, incidentally, that was that was uh, all in these terrapin buildings that were scattered around the site. Which I don't know whether there are people who would remember those, but they were temporary buildings. The Hursley site itself had some built, uh, obviously some permanent buildings, but there was a massive temporary buildings there. So yes, I worked on the on the on the on the uh, on the compilers, and then actually the last uh, the, the third year um, I worked on uh, the per, one of the early well it was the beginning of system 370 and there were uh, do it, one of those machines belonged to Hursley as well which was the 135 I think it was a secret code name was C86 I have no idea why and it may still be a secret I doubt it but um, <laughs> so I was writing I was writing <clears throat> writing microcode for that and that was um, having That having done assembler and a bit of PL1, I mean, microcode was a real eye opener. It was wonderful, actually, stuff to work on microcode. I thought it was it was the 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 way that microcode was developed. It was sort of in contrast at the time. People, you know, people when you get to shipping a product, you know, people have these situations where they say we got to get the count of errors down to a sort of acceptable level, and the acceptable level in microcode was zero, no errors at all uh, in any <laughs> of it, <laughs> and. and um, 
and, and not only not only that, but I mean, you were sort of expected to work first time when you wrote it as well. Um, you couldn't test it in the normal way. You had a simulator and so on, but um, it was uh, that was quite a fun aspect of it. And another quite fun aspect of it was if you said, um, oh, yeah, I need another instruction, people would go in, scratch their heads a bit and come back and say, well, we wired up the board to put this extra instruction in the machine hardware <clears throat> so that you can use it, which was a strange sense of power. <laughs> Crazy. So, so that was at the end of, of, your, of your studies then? Uh, well, it was the, it was the it was the last um, Hursley thing, and then and then I went had I went back for six months when I, at the end of which I got got the uh, degree qualification. Except that was um, sort of predicated on doing an additional six months, but that six months tended to be segue straight into permanent full time work, um, and that was the time when Hursley didn't have a place, so I moved up to West London and worked on uh, what was an ACP, which was a uh, subsequently turned into into TPF, but that was um, a, 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 a kind of an operating system. It was a control program. It didn't have all the other uh, stuff. It didn't have compilers and all those kinds of things. It just it was just a runtime uh, operating system, uh, very fast and uh, very efficient, and uh, three sixty code. And so I worked on that. For, for quite a while and I stayed with that for a long long time working on airline software so that means when it was written at that time it probably was written with a lot of assembler then oh it was entirely assembler I don't think there was anything in in, in ACP that wasn't assembler actually amazingly um, this this is an astonishing history but I mean the, the, the assembler language was fairly primitive at that time as well and um, the things like things like in the macro language, you had um, the, the, the names of the variables were regulated. You, the first letter had to be either arithmetic, uh, binary or character. So it was A, B or C and then a number, uh, global or local uh, and then a number. And uh, so so there were loads of these symbols that were, were in the back in 19. They, they were before I joined IBM, 1962, 63, sometime around about that. These were invented. Um, but the names are still there, I think, even today in TPF. You can see these these variables like ampersand BG15. And you think, oh, they're supposed to have meaningful <laughs> names for things these days. <laughs> It's crazy how long software actually lasts, and I think I think that is that is also something that I find very interesting when when we had chats also the other week about other stuff that that if that it actually doesn't matter if it is an assembler. The the, the, the real important thing is that it's very good code, is it? Oh yes, I, I, and and it was it was a, a perennial experience in 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 the, in computing, and still applies today. That you know, a lot of lot of things um, were were sort of thrown together by somebody who needed to do some quick job, and they wrote this bit of code and tried it, you know. And then, but other people said, "Oh, that's quite useful." Started using it, and you know, sort of fifteen or twenty years later, you would find this thing was still actually being used by people, even though it wasn't intended as a as a long lived thing. And and um, always that, that I mean that sort of caused a feeling right at the beginning that you have to do these things well because actually you know they go on for ages and ages and people are depending on them and uh, uh, and uh, you know if it falls to bits people who are depending on them have problems so you you really need to you know the idea that you could write quick throwaway code seemed to me to be a myth you did write quick throwaway code but it didn't get thrown away. 
And I, I find that very, very, very pleasing you say that because I, I, I think at the moment our industry has this this feeling again also with microservices. So we we have to to write things that we can easily throw away. And as you said, I mean, probably the people thought that also at the time, and they maybe had even a comment that says never use that in production. But then it just worked, and 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 of course it it went around for a long time. And that as you said that that the paradigm of it is not. It, the quality doesn't matter that much because the bits are so small that you can throw them away are probably a very bad idea. Also what I find always interesting from a, from a society perspective, I mean, we will have less and less people working on this stuff, but we will have more and more it. I mean, my, my chair these days has it in it. My desk has it because it can go up and down and we need so many more programmers. And we still have this, this spirit out there that people say, yeah, but, uh, we we only we only write small portions of code so that we can throw it away more easy, and you wonder so who is going to write all that code in the next few centuries? But uh, yeah, well, I find it very interesting. Yeah, yes, uh, 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 I mean the one thing that one thing that, that 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 does get thrown away fairly frequently is new programming languages actually, which come up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you know people say people say oh you you know you're writing all you know all this old 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 stuff in the in these in these ancient languages you know I, I, lots of lots of them you know, I can remember when people were saying you know basically all of these programming languages are a complete mess right we've got to settle down on something what are the universities teaching right everything's going to be written in Pascal. <laughs> 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 and I know enterprises that believed that for a period, and today they have Pascal programs, but they don't have any Pascal programmers. Obviously, probably they don't have any compilers anymore, so they're sort of kind of stuck with these these relics of the past. And and it yeah. and it, it occurs it occurs all over the place, and even programming techniques that develop they come and go. It's quite quite interesting, but the basic underlying thing of it all is that if you if you if you build something in a way that actually somebody can look at it work out what it does uh, and and work on it then uh, you're doing a huge favor to 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 the rest of the human race basically totally totally and i think i think one little story that we 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 chatted about the other week was that when you when you learn to do something you you sometimes have the feeling but there is there is a, i think you, you we talked about woodworking where, where oh, you said yes. that, that you found it so annoying that you had to have this small little handsaw to do something oh that's right yes that was it that was a, that was a school that was a long long time ago is that when we we, we had to we had to make, do things like well we were t- learning how to do dovetail joints basically which is a very fiddly process uh, with with a, with a saw and a chisel and all that kind of thing, and in the corner of the room there was a, there was a dovetail machine. And you just put a piece of wood in and press the button, and it made all that all that dovetailing stuff on it. And I was saying to our teacher, "Why can't we use that?" And he said, "You might think that uh, you might think that this is that this is a, a better way of doing it than doing it by hand." He said, "Actually, basically, it's just quicker." Uh, and if you don't know how to make dovetail joints, the main effect of that is you just get through wood more quickly. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that isn't that a nice analogy for, for for what we have with coding? So so it's much yeah. easier to write code, but if people don't know what they're actually doing, they produce just 
massive heaps of worst code in the world that is then still running and we have to deal with all this trash. <laughs> I, yes, I, it's unfortunately, unfortunately, I think that's true. Obviously, not IBM doesn't do that because we of course. concentrate only on, it, on the highest quality. But things things do slip out, even now, certainly in internal stuff that you use inside IBM. And I'm sure that would just applies everywhere. You know, you find something that somebody's put together and people are using it and you think this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you when you were in your career then a long time with what we today call TPF and uh, and at the time was called ACP, and, and so 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 how long did you do that then in in London where you actually never wanted to end up? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I worked in. Uh, I mean, we uh, started off with AC, yeah. So I worked with ACP for 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 quite a while. I mean, that was interesting as well because actually the, we used to give the operating system software away, so all of our customers had copy of ACP as it were and we looked after it in IBM but our customers changed it <laughs> so oh dear <laughs> <laughs> everybody so we sometimes we had copies of, of our and I can remember we had a I can say this because I don't think the company still exists but uh, we had uh, um, the Swiss Air's ACP uh, listing of as well as IBM's ACP so we could so that, so that was it anyway But uh, I worked on that, and then that, that evolved into TPF. But then I sort of moved on to um, the same basic software platform, but we developed a, an, an alternative uh, uh, system eventually that, that, that ran on, um, on MVS, subsequently currently on ZOS, uh, that provided the same uh, application programming interface and ran, ran basically basically the same code so although it wasn't necessarily all on the same product i was working on the same kind of thing and actually i kept switching you know i did work on acp and tpf during the time as well and that was uh, well did you want me to say how long that was it was it was a bit, bit of a surprise it ended up being 30 years in fact that i was working in uh, in that particular organization mostly centered around felt sorry I think, I think I think Nick felt that it is an issue. I mean, I find it personally totally convincing that you, you used to work for such a long time in this area, but you never got bored. Because for me, that would be the moment where I need to definitely do something else if I get bored. And I think that is still true for a lot of people that start in, 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 in IT. And I think that is also a very good message that we can say, so you can still work that long in this in this particular area that is just mainframe computing, which is a fraction of all you can do in IT, but you will never get bored because there are so many opportunities and so many cool stuff to do. So so I, I quite like that, that you actually stick around for, for that much time. I, yes, I, I th it's, it, it, yes, I think actually it's interesting. Uh, oddly enough, I mean, it, it, this is kind of a feature of working in assembler language because you're very close to the metal, as people say. With, in a, I mean, you're actually writing machine code. And the development of the physical machines, um, you're very close to when you're working in that sort of area. And so new things were, were appearing. I know they don't sound very new at the moment, but I mean, um, things like um, uh, virtual storage and, and um, uh, multi-threading and, 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 uh, and stuff that got more and more pervasive. And you learn more and more, you know, each, each new generation of machines that came along There were completely new technologies that you that you were starting to use, so that you had, um, you know, going going from a situation where you had um, effectively one flat memory space for the machine, you went to a situation where you could have hundreds or thousands of, of flat memory models in the same machine, and that was quite a big 
jump. And there were lots of those sorts of things going on. So it was actually was actually quite interesting. So, Steve, one thing that I always kind of think of, which is probably a weird thing to ask because we, we haven't talked about it. I sometimes think today in this world of IT, it is so hard because everything is already invented. But but I must think maybe that was what you thought back then as well. And then something new just appeared, is it? I, it, I would say it's, it's a paradox, actually, because in a sense, all of the... It feels in some sense that programming is still the same activity that it always was right from the beginning, right from, you know, um, uh, 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 was it Lovelace working on Babbage's machines? It's it's right all the way through. It's, it's essentially the same um, as to what you do. But what what's possible? changes all the time and once things once things that were previously not possible become possible then you start to do them so there are always new things all the time there are new things coming along so yeah i find find very pleasing when you say it like that (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's actually it it is okay to feel like that and maybe in in retrospective in, in 20 years time we will look back and we'll say oh yeah of course we couldn't do X, Y, Z at a time. But of course, now we can. <laughs> but the coding was kind of the same thing, was it? <laughs> well, yeah, well, the, the, I, I don't, yes, the code isn't, it, I mean, essentially, it seems to me that the, that the that the most important thing about programming is, is understanding what it is you want the program to do. Once you've got that bit done, uh, the rest of it's very straightforward and more or less irrelevant what language you're writing it as well. Um, I used to used to used to, to sort of think that that you know in estimating that you could say that that, that there was like um, a third of the time working out what you want to do, a third of the time doing it, and then a third of the time testing it. So even if you reduce the time doing it to to zero, it still only gave you a thirty percent improvement. Um, but then when you looked in the actual doing it bit, that broke down into three sections of. of of stuff as well so that I, because most of that most of the uh doing of it was 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 um detailed design work and a bit of coding and so on but not not just sitting down and, and writing the code you can't do that until you know exactly what you want to write and if you do know exactly what you want to write it doesn't take very long so that's yeah I find that that very good. And I think, I think especially if if there are people listening that, that have been kind of new to things, I think if you understand that pattern and probably it will not just apply to computing, it's probably the same for designing cars Mm. or or making business decisions. If you really understand what you do, it becomes much easier. The actual doing isn't the problem and it's just a a little bit of training. So I find that, find that comforting, is it? I think, well, I think it's a, I think it's, you know, they always say, they always say in things like building and gardening and all those, these sorts of activities, you know, getting the, the preparation work is the thing you've got to get right. Once you've done the preparation, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah. So, so now we, we kind of captured these 30 years and I, I look a little bit at, at our time. We, we already yeah. went a little bit over, um, but, but, but I, I would still be interested. So, so today you're back in Hersey. So, so how did that happen? Um, at one point in time, you, you, you were doing all this, all this airline stuff. And, and what yeah. happened then that made you go back to, to Hersey actually? 
Well, um, <clears throat> essentially, um, I was at, at that time what was what was uh, becoming interesting uh, in computing uh, for me in mainframe computing was the idea that the sort of cisplex concept where you had you know huge amounts of compute power coordinated uh, using multi multiple different physical machines and coupling facilities and so on. And I was really interested in that, and I was doing a project related to that in the airline software, and that project came to an end but it happened to be at the same time as mq which was also a new technology that was great fun that i was quite heavily involved with in in, in the early days of mq were doing a, a project using the coupling facility technology and uh, so i thought right uh, you know i'm not working on that in in in, in the airlines business but i'm working on it in mq so i came down that was 2000 roughly so I came down to to work on that, and that was a very interesting project. And again, lots of remarkable stuff that you could do that that because of the technical technology advancement. And actually, quite a lot of that was uh, was written in in assembler as well. So uh, so I worked for that for about uh, well, several years, and, and until until the thing was actually delivered, and that was MQ Shared Queue support, which has been actually very successful, I would say. And, and was that still on the mainframe, Steve, or had you moved into the uh, the plastic platforms by then? No, this is this is mainframe. Uh, this is uh, Chair Q is, is is mainframe. It's it's uh, that was um, uh, well Z series actually by that stage of the proceedings using the coupling facility, which is a mainframe box really. Very rarely worked on other platforms actually. Anyway, so I did so I did that for for a while, and then I switched to uh, working on a sort of conceptual grandchild of of, of MQ, which was uh, JMS Java message Java messaging, and we developed a Java messaging system uh, for for WAS on also on mainframe um, that I uh, that I worked on uh, that for for a while, uh, and then um, that 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 project came to an end and. Um, and I was um, invited to join uh, the Kix organization, which I have to say had the sort of slight feeling of being an organization, very much in keeping with what, what you were saying. It had the sort of slight feeling from the out. Well, first of all, everybody at Ursley had been working on Kix for most of their lives, except me. Because I've been <laughs> in a way. So, uh, so I didn't really know anything about Kix or... or uh, um, uh, but uh, anyway, so, but it, it sort of fit, felt like it was, you know, a kind of big, uh, possibly slightly, you know, old fashioned kind of organization. But anyway, I joined the Kicks group and I have to say it was a real eye opener. I mean, it was extraordinary. I think that the, the Kicks organization has been the most forward looking, adventurous, creative bunch of people I've ever worked with. It was really astonishing, actually. And I love it. And I found funny because that was actually when we met. I'm, I'm not sure if you if you recall that because that was when I was a student and I, I came to Hursley and it was when yeah. I met Nick as well, of course. And I think you were were, were, were quite fresh to kicks as well at the time, and I was still a student and hadn't had much time. And I I, I remember that we shared lunch after one of these Hursley exhibitions thingies, and uh, he said, "No, I, I read through like a thousand books, but I still don't even know how to start it. It's so it's so funny." <laughs> and I, I recall that moment because I felt like that. I mean, I was I wasn't even born with 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 with, with Z machines, and I was kind of still in my second year working with these things. And sometimes it was just so hard because there is no start start exec or something. 
something, it was always complex and you needed to know things. And I found that very comforting that you said that I, I'm doing it now for weeks and months. I can't still even start it. That was a, that was another thing actually that that uh, that about, that's been stayed the same. When I when I joined the uh, PL1 optimizing compiler group, I was working with all these people who were writing the PL1 compiler. After a while, I discovered, to my amazement, that hardly any of them can actually program in PL1 at all. <laughs> 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 and I thought, you know, how can you write a compiler for a language that you don't actually know? This just seemed bizarre in the extreme because that was written in assembly. Um, but the interesting thing is that you end up in a situation where you're sort of inside this large organization working on a piece of the of, of, of this machine that you're building, the compiler, and you don't actually know all of the external things. It was very much the same with kicks. I mean, I was working on bits and pieces of kicks quite a deep level, but all sorts of things about kicks. Still, I don't know loads of things about kicks. And, 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 and even starting up a kick system, um, every time I'd, well, I'd, I well, I get, get the hang of it after a while, but I mean, that I have to sort of talk to people who do it and say, how do you actually do this, this particular thing? Have you got some some JCL to run it and so on? It, it... <laughs> but we still named one of our releases after you, Steve. Oh, I know, I know. That was a great privilege and <laughs> quite, quite extraordinary. You're the only person I know of that has had a, a Kicks release named after them, so be proud. I am. I am very proud, actually, and delighted and grateful, actually, for the, to the Kicks organisation, for you know, to the people in, in the Kicks organisation, which who um, kindly took that. So I think I think we're we're actually a little bit over time, but I have I have one more question for you, and I find that very interesting. Uh, what did you think that changed? I mean, you said so many things are actually still kind of the same things, and as you just said, it's also that we still don't understand what we actually do all over the place, so we only work on fractions. What did you think that also changed? Maybe also on a social level. Oh, social level, all kinds of stuff. Extraordinary. I mean, the, the, the thing that still absolutely stuns me was I think I can remember sitting in the auditorium, uh, listening to a, a, a whole meeting of, the, of everybody in the in the, in the Hursley organization in this vast uh, auditorium place in this classical building and so on. And you couldn't really see the people who were talking at the front because absolutely everybody in the room was smoking. <laughs> <laughs> it was... The office where I worked, you know, there were two cigarette vending machines on the floor that I was on, as there were on all the other floors in the thing, for the benefit of people who obviously... And it just... I look back on it, and I think, you can't believe it. I mean, it's sort of incredible that, that, that yeah. during that time, it's changed from something that everybody did to something that nobody does. Extraordinary. Yeah, indeed so, it is. And I, so, I recall when I was a child, there was still at McDonald's, there was this this area where there was a sign that says, here you're allowed to smoke, and a, a centimeter further, you were not allowed to smoke. And I always wondered <laughs> as a child, how does the smoke knows where to stay and where not to go? Right. <laughs> yes, extraordinary. But yeah, but I, I think, I, I mean, socially, I mean, IBM was, IBM, I think, was always as a place to work very forward thinking and and so on so actually as a place to work it hasn't really changed dramatically some responsibilities that people have have changed and some a lot of jobs have disappeared completely um, that were sort of characteristic i mean we used to have roomfuls of key of key punch operators at, at one time and 
you you know you if you wanted to run a job you would you would write it down down on paper give it to a key punch operator punch the cars carry the cars down to the machine room and wait for the day till the listing came back carried upstairs and the, so that was a, a huge change from um a kind of batch way of thinking about things so nowadays you just do everything you want to do straight away yourself you don't need other people to do it you know you can you can write code compile it test it everything and and that's that's been that's been a, a very big and very um, uh, important and, and valuable change uh, to, to, to the whole thing. Which I suppose really it's hard to imagine that it was what, what it used to be like, but it's certainly much faster and has changed the experience in a in a kind of organic way. Everybody thinks about doing the job differently from the way that they used to think about it in those times. But the job, as I say, are still still fairly similar. So yeah, I, I, I mean the, tech, the, tech, the the power of the comp- I mean the the power of the computer is absolutely unbelievable. I was talking about this the other day to somebody, and I was saying, I, I just did a little bit of looking at it. I think the machine I started working on was a Model 65. Well, it, I wouldn't start on it, but I had it borrowed it for yeah. a bit, uh, which was a big commercial machine and everything. And I think the I think the uh, the current the current version of the um, of the Raspberry Pi is something like uh, eight thousand times as fast <laughs> as, as, as sixty-five, and the, the sixty-five had a, had a, a maximum architectural maximum of sixteen megabytes of uh, of uh, sorry, yes, sixteen meg. That was it, the most you could have. And now we've got machines with forty terabytes, which is little difficult to grasp but but actually even so the the, the nature of the machines is the same i don't know what's going to happen with computing or with the with the quantum i think that's different actually very different but apart from that things have been pretty much the same really more of it huge amounts more if, if you allow me that comment because it's some it comes up quite a lot with also the customers that say or oh, everything will change with quantum and i always say yeah but we we need to accept the fact that quantum will not change everything. Quantum will change things, but YouTube, for example, will probably not be that much better off with quantum. So <laughs> so our classical computers will stick around for quite a time. And as you said, I mean, if you just think of, I mean, in, in a second scrolling through Instagram or whatever people do these days, we, we burn more CPU than we needed to actually fly to the moon, which is, I find, always incredibly impressive. What what state of 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 technology we actually achieved here? Steve, and, it was uh, it was sorry. amazing. Uh, sorry, sorry, Ed, it's gone. No, I was just gonna I was just gonna say that even with even with quantum computing, I think that really essentially the problem that people have to be able to get get to grips with is what it is they're trying to do with the computer before they try and do it, <laughs> and, that, and that is the that is the the crucial thing to software development. Anyway, sorry. Back to the woodworking then. Back to the woodworking. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't know where you're going. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I mean, I, I can just say I, I always find it find it amazing when we have these kinds of chats and uh, and um, I think it was a, a very very entertaining half hour for 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 our listeners hopefully as well. And uh, thank you very very much for sharing your your expertise and and sharing your thoughts. It's uh, it, it has been so much fun to me. Well, I've enjoyed it enormously. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, I, I extend my thanks, Steve. It's been very, very entertaining. And you've got just so many stories that I know 
are not broadcastable. So I'd, I'd like to I'd like to say thank you. And um, I hope after 55 years, you're still trying to make your mind up whether you want to stay or not with IBM. But you've you've put a shift in, certainly. Well, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not seriously contemplating moving out of IBM at the moment, although probably I should be. <laughs> No, no. The answer is no, Steve. I can't. I I can't imagine coming back to Hearst and you're not around. So so it's it's not allowed. <laughs> well, you're too kind. Thank you. And uh, that's the sort of reason why I stay. I think basically yeah. because good organisation, good fun. Cool. Okay, so I I think we'll wrap this one up, Toby. We will. It was okay. fun as usual. So for more IBM Z podcasts and. That could be on DevOps or application development and, of course, the application platforms. Please check out ibm.biz forward slash podcasts. But for now, after a mammoth, mammoth recording, this is Nick, Toby and Steve saying goodbye and hope to see you on the next podcast. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye.